0: Hi, I'm Catherine, And I'm Gail. And we want to welcome you to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Be sure to visit womenover70.com and make a donation. Join our Aging Reimagined circle and visit the Books for Women section. Invite us to conduct a workshop or speak to your organization. We share relevant clips from podcast guests and offer numerous programs to enrich women's lives. And today we are very excited to be
1: talking with Elaine Soloway. Elaine, age 83, is a well-loved Chicago author whose blogs and books reveal her many challenges and successes. In her own words, Elaine is an extremely grateful person. She's grateful for continuing good health, for the people in her life, living and dead, for making mistakes without embarrassment, for learning to swim, play, piano, and speak Spanish later in life, and for her daily habit of journal writing. Elaine is grateful for being the caregiver for her late second husband, and for her friendship with her first husband who transitioned to female, and for her exceptionally creative, non-binary adult children, who wrote and produced the award-winning TV series Transparent, based on Elaine's life. Having lived the last four decades of her life out loud and in the public eye, Elaine has no fear in tackling other social issues, including racism and ageism. So Elaine, welcome to Women Over 70.
2: Right, I think I can leave now because you've given my entire (laughs) time. What more can we say about me?
1: Well, there's a lot more to say. So, uh, you know, recently you wrote a piece about ageism. Correct. For women. and And I'd like to start, tell us a little bit about your perspective on how we still live in a society that's ageist against women.
2: Well, I have to tell you the truth is that I think I came off in that like a curmudgeon and I'm really not. Um, I'm really kind of a fun person, but <laughs> it was always that image of a hundred year old person with a party hat that just galled me so much that I had to write about it. But I have to say, uh, Catherine, that one of the worst proponents of ageism is people are age because they won't tell their age. Yes, And I think that that doesn't allow people to see that people our age are still walking and talking. If we hide it, what does that say? Are we ashamed of it? So that, that's one of the things. But I, I have, I'm so active and so I'm touching wood over here. So gratefully healthy that I really don't encounter ageism that much. And if I do, I will talk. I will speak up. I will write an essay. I will, so I don't feel battered down by it.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Yes, agreed. So you, uh, when I talked with you, you were telling me about a book group that you lead, uh, The Unrecognized History of Racism.
2: Right, but I just added a second one. I don't know oh. if you know that. Oh, my so, goodness. So, um, yeah, I do lead a, for 22 months, I've hosted a, a book group, on a anti-racist book group. And uh, we read only Black authors and we alter between men and females. So we get a broad spectrum. And it's um, because so many of us didn't have good history lessons. And we, because we're white and privileged, we just kind of ignored the subject unless there's a demonstration. But I felt that I needed to do more. So I'm the kind of person that if I do something, I have to share it. And I felt with the books that if I had other people and a deadline, I would have to read it. I was afraid if I left it to myself, it, it 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 may not get read. So it's very successful, it's still going on. We have our next session on uh, the eighth, I believe, of February. And it's a wonderful book called Behold the Dreamers about immigrants, it's a novel. So we read novels and memoirs, mm-hmm. but uh, just recently, um, I was dealing with my Judaism and finding that it was wanting. So uh, I had a conversation with God and God asked me to start a Jewish women's writers group. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I launched that. So I will be doing one on the second Tuesday of the month, and the, the second one on the fourth Tuesday of the month. And for that one, we are reading Riva Lair's, Uh, Golem Girl. Have you read that book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a
1: long time ago.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Amazing book. I read it when it first came out because I'm a friend of Reva, but I'm rereading it again because I kind of make cliff notes. I think it's astounding. And I think people have to read that book. So that's why she's the first Jewish writer and Reva is going to join us during the Zoom call. And I posted that essay about it on my Facebook page. And I think it's like why aren't people there was people are just hopped on and joined on and i'm trying to figure out why it was so well, why people were thirsting for it for an, yet another book group because i think people have book groups but i'm wondering
0: and i'm, I'm wondering how you are selecting books for the for the jewish book group it's just what i want to do
2: <laughs> that's why. That's why. So
0: you're the leader you're going to choose them yes
2: exactly and that's why actually um gail both of my book my first book group is so successful because nobody has to think about it i i choose the book no one has to and it's all very specific it's not like any book I, it has to be uh by a black author so and it has to be something we've learned that we learned mm-hmm. and the same thing with the jewish women writers is that it has to be a book that we learn something about and certainly um disability is you know it is such an important subject we learned so much from that book so I don't ask for anyone's advice people can suggest <laughs> but um every time there's a new list of new books out I check it out I do everything online so I read the books online and I can get a sample mm-hmm. and then I know if I want to do it and again it's, it's that's why I do it I'm, I'm really bad at collaborating and <laughs> getting others opinions
0: it's good you know it
2: <laughs> I know it and nobody objects to it people will occasionally select something and I'll say I'll check it out but um I I wouldn't do a book group that I couldn't choose it It just why well, spend uh, you know weeks reading a book that's not something I want to read so but most people are really happy with my choices the the um The group, which I call not number one reading black authors, have have most of them been with me for 22, for 22 months and have thanked me because during the pandemic, it forced them to read and Mm -hmm. books that they may not have read. Most, most of the people in the group are white. We have a handful of black women and a couple of men sometimes, but it's, it's so satisfactory. That's why I decided. And then I had this discussion with God, what, when I asked no male, Jewish authors. And he said, no, they've been in the spotlight too long. Good for you. And actually there's so many, like the first one is a uh, golden girl. The second one will be everybody loves dead Jews. Have you heard about that book? I haven't yeah. read it. But, yeah. It's a, it's a new book and it's getting lots of play. and It's really excellent. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm reading that too. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as a, as an author, you can, you can appreciate you know, good writing and good stories. So
2: I really do. Yeah. And, and also, I learned from I learn from the books I read, I've changed my writing style from mm. reading, I, I know what I like in when I read a book. And the first thing I do when I, I um, start to write an essay, and I'm writing all the time is put down the five senses, and make sure there's some time what do we touch what do we hear, what do we see, what do we feel, what do we smell, and try to get as many of those as possible. And the other thing I'm doing lately is making much shorter sentences, not by running on, but short sentences. I'm reading a novel now by a Black author that we'll, we'll do for March and it's a kind of a detective fiction. And it's all short sentences, and I just love it. So That's I've been doing that in my writing, and it, it works well for uh-huh. me. I like short sentences also, who yeah. oh, <laughs> <you>? knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Elaine, you, uh, it says in your promotion, your PR materials, that you, um, you write about your life, you're out loud and you, in the public eye. Right. So why did you decide to write about your life in such an intimate, revealing way? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, first of all, you think that it's intimate and revealing, but it's universal. There's nothing different about me than anyone else. I mean, but I also believe if you're going to write, you have to be honest, because otherwise, it's not very interesting. And I think none of my secrets or none of my Our life's so different from anybody else's. But it actually did start when my second husband um, got ill. And he had something called frontal temporal degeneration. And so in the last three years of his life, he lost his ability to speak. And so um, I started writing blogs as a way to tell everybody what was going on because. Um, friends would call and say, how's Tommy? What's he doing? How are you doing? So I started to write. And then I found that not only was it therapeutic for me, but other people were reading it and found it helpful because it's not, it's not sad. It's kind it's, you know, it's lighthearted as one could be, but um, it's honest. And, and so then once I got started, started writing that, you couldn't stop me. I had to write about everything.
0: <laughs> Your writing is wonderful. I have read oh. it. It's really Thank you. Helpful. I
2: appreciate that. I appreciate yes. that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: just what you said it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you You know, sw- you um when we talked you said that you're very proud of your non-binary adult children for being Correct. Yes. courageous the way they want to live your life and right. your first husband was made some really incredible choices also. Right. So how did you tell us a little bit give us some insight into your own experience around um your first husband and, um, and your adult children?
2: Well, I'm actually trying to write an essay about that, that now. But I think um, what I'm so proud about, about my children and about the show Transparent is that it really became a door opening for people, that there, there were certainly transgender people in the world, but they were all, were all in the closet. They were, uh, hadn't come out like, like gay people and but transparent showed a family a typical family it wasn't a drag queen or performer or it or a, in tv they're usually if they're transgender they're the menace in the story but this was a, a family just you know a jewish family mm-hmm. and um it showed that when mm-hmm. one person changes it affects everyone else right. and and in, in real life it did affect my children who it, it wasn't that they changed is that they came out to their true selves, that both of them are now non-binary and uh, I am working hard on they and them. And, and I still mess sometimes because they are in their fifties. So for 50 mm-hmm. years, I've been calling them daughter and by their, their born name. And now I have to, but I don't resent it because it's a learning lesson for me. Mm-hmm. and. And um, I'm also trying to tell people our age that that they have to be they have to get on the program mm-hmm. that I think people our age um, want to expand their brains. We're doing crossword puzzles. We're taking classes where we want to keep our brains alive. But when it comes to they and them, people get stubborn, and, you know, it's, as if I've lived this life. All along, doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to do it. Well, who are you hurting when you say I'm not going to do it? Mm-hmm. It could be your child, your grandchild. I mean, if someone is that um, intent to live their life truly, then it it's your um, responsibility to honor that. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: in the in the TV series Transparent, the way your character was. Portrayed, you, as I recall, were um you wanted to have to continue to have a close relationship with your partner, correct? Even my first and, spouse, yeah, your my first, first spouse, spouse. yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the first spouse. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um did so what was that like for you?
2: Uh, having a relationship with mm-hmm. after she came out after. Mm-hmm. The, It was delightful. I mean, it was, I gave her, I wrote a piece for Harper's Bazaar where I I gave her my mother's earrings and I was putting them on. Um, I we were divorced. I was in my Mm -hmm. second marriage and my, my second husband, my first spouse got along very well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, we were good friends. We're still good friends. You know, Mm we go out to lunch together. We're on the phone. We're each other's emergency. Contacts. But the interesting question, Catherine, is would it have been different if I had known? Because mm-hmm. in the TV series, um Shelly, the, the wife kind of intimates that she knew, but I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I had known, if I had been given the choice, what would I have done? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that I would have accepted it and, and said, Great, you know. Just continue as we are. Not mm-hmm. sure that would have happened. I don't know if I was that benevolent at that time mm-hmm. because my spouse was struggling, so it was a struggling mm-hmm. marriage. But um, I'm glad that that we continue to be friends. and and she's the same person, you know, she's the same person person.
0: I, I think that the presentation of the film of of the series mm-hmm. is so heartwarming. And that everyone, all you know, the children, you, your spouse, the, your first spouse, they everyone is presented in a very human light.
2: Mm-hmm. What's well, very accurate that part, you know, that part is very accurate. We're still, you know, I I get I get texts from my children, I talk to them often. Um they're very close with their mappa. I have to watch that. they they're, they're I mean, we're we're very fortunate that my kids grew up, and I, I've written about this before, my kids grew up that they didn't have, uh, we were not, I was not a typical Jewish mother, I have to say that, not in the best way, in that because I, I was, um, I got married when I was in 1960. So at that time, Jewish women, you were a teacher when you went to school and became a teacher, and then you married a doctor or a lawyer. And I did both those things. I I became a teacher, I married a doctor, and, but I always felt fish out of water in that role. And, but so maybe I demonstrated to my children, that don't go down this road, this is not the road. And I was so grateful that neither, they grew up in the city, they went to Lane Tech, um, that they they never wanted to be suburban kids. I I hope neither of you live in the suburbs, but um, I do think that growing up in the city, going to Lane Tech, you know, going with that population, has enhanced their lives. That's who they are. So there were there was never any uh, and Faith actually came out as a lesbian in I think 2019. And it was like, duh, you know, like my my kids just they were who they were. I never put Philly I was asking them the other day or thinking about, did we ever have bride magazines in our house? And we never did. I never, <laughs> I never had a bride magazine. Why didn't I ever envision you know, going to a bridal shop with my kids—it never happened. It never happened, and I'm so grateful. Think of the money we've saved. <laughs> as I,
1: um, as I said in the your, the introduction, that you are—you told me that you're an extremely grateful person. Correct. Right. And there is a long list of things that you're grateful for. Um, so t- tell us about about the, that state of mind of being graceful and maybe in in grace.
2: Well, um, I, I'm 83 years old, which is quite old in this world. I um, can I'm in, in I have to touch wood somewhere. I can't. <laughs> um, I'm in really good health. I swam this morning at five o'clock in the morning at the health club across from my house. Uh, I go to bed at eight o'clock at night. Get up at four, and every morning when I get up, I say a prayer to God, thanking God for waking up with no bad news on on, the, on my phone and that my dog and I are in good health. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but I really feel um, that God or some deity or someone puts me in certain places to meet a person or get an idea or it's like, it, I, I'm just, I recognize, I can recognize um, great things that are happening to me. And I have amazing friends that are half my age that live in the building. Um, the thing that I'm really thinking about right now, not, I live in a expensive high-rise across the street from a fancy health club, but I, I'm really interested in housing for the elderly. And I hate the segregation of senior housing. Mm-hmm. I have friends in senior housing. I think it it's wonderful if you're handicapped in some way, but I I think we really have to rethink the segregation of senior housing. Really? I don't know if either of you live in senior housing, but no,
1: um, no. But we're we're just we were talking with the woman who's um, who's going to be an advocate some soon, and and that's what she's going to be talking about are these different models for housing,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: For for uh, as we age and right, yeah, yeah. it's it's a really important.
2: I I think it is. I think it's really important. I have a master's degree in urban planning, which I didn't get until I was until the seventies. I was married and had children, and um, because I was really interested, I've written about it a lot. But uh, in the seventies, my family and I lived in uh, a development called South Commons on the near side, South Side of Chicago, and it was a planned community which attempted to mix races, ages. incomes in a variety of housing styles. And it changed me from kind of an unhappy housewife to a writer. I wrote the community newsletter. My, we had theaters. It, it, it was, this is an amazing experience. And in fact, my child, Joey, is doing a documentary on it. Um, but now I don't know where I was going with that story. But, oh, I know where it was going. That Why can't we have intentional communities like that, intergenerational, interracial, inter, you know, why are we segregating uh, people by age? I know that they're very popular, they're very expensive, they're very lovely, they're, you know, but I just can't imagine being in a place where there were no babies or children or dogs Mm -hmm. or that. But that's just me. Mm -hmm. I won't have, I'll have the senior living housing community down on me, but... <laughs> Do either of you live in senior housing? No.
0: No. I live independently in an apartment and that's mm-hmm. how I intend to stay.
2: And how old are you? I'm 80. You're 80, so we're close in age. What yeah. about you, Catherine? I
1: live uh, I live in the suburb, but it's the first one west of downtown. Oh. So <laughs> it's Oak Park.
2: Oh, Oak Park is I don't consider it a suburb. I know so many people who live there, right? And yeah. how old are you?
1: 72.
2: Oh, so we're all, well, I guess we have to be over seventy. You have to be, you have to,
1: to qualify. That's right.
2: God, that's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And so, but Oak Park has a lot of opportunities too, you know, right?
1: Many, many. Yes. Yeah. It's one of, yeah. So I've
0: lived here for 35 years or more. Yeah.
2: I have friends, I have friends who live there. and They're very happy there.
0: And isn't it Oak Park, uh, Catherine, where they're going to build the first co-housing uh, Cooperative housing,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, and we'll, it's going will
2: be intergenerational. Yes, that's yeah, that's the yes. way it's true. You know, I think that as we age, that's going to be the word because nobody expected us to live that long and to have desires of this way. So they're mm-hmm. going to have to figure out what to do with us. You know?
1: <laughs> that's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So uh, tell us about your tattoos.
2: Well, um, I guess I've always liked tattoos on other people, but this one on—well, it's on my left. I got when I was 60 uh, and it has my daughter's, oops, see, I just did (laughs) that. Whoops, crossed that out. My children's names on it. Mm -hmm. to honor their creativity and I just loved it so much and the other one the one on this shoulder is a seahorse and I Mm -hmm. got that when I was 80 because I had always tried to learn how to swim all my life Um, and I just stupidly never gave up and finally at 79 I did learn how to swim from a woman who taught babies and so I learned it little step by step Mm -hmm. so in honor it's a seahorse
1: can. It's my fa- I love seahorses.
2: you <laughs> Really? My, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you were
1: um, you learning to swim. You also said that you s- s- play piano and you've been s- learning Spanish and
2: right. that
1: you're settling for being mediocre. Doesn't sound like
2: you. (laughs) (laughs) I was I was doing the keyboard just before, and I don't do I don't spend. It's ten minutes of, and I set a timer ten minutes for Duolingo to do Spanish, and one song a day, Rogers and Harris usually for piano, and swimming is three mornings a week, and Mm -hmm. I'm really awful at all of them, but it's just me, (laughs) and I have tried all as long as I can remember to do those three things, and. Well, I think the the secret of any of them is to practice and Mm -hmm. not to go for perfection. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think perfection just limits our life so much when we can we can do all those things, you know, just. But I also wrote an essay. Please don't watch me because I don't want anyone <laughs> to listen or watch me swim. Watch me.
1: So tell us a little bit about your writing habit because I I know you you just said you write every day. I do. What's your do you have a particular rhythm uh,
2: a technique for your writing? Well, I used to write on a um, a legal pad and then. Edit that and then do it on the computer. But but recently I started only using the computer, and it goes so much faster. <laughs> and I will do a draft. Well, I have this other little secret, and I don't know yeah. why, but each of my essays is 777 words. Let's <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Maybe that's the magic number. And why? I have no idea. But I, I think anything more than 800 is too much. That is too much for people to read. And usually I think newspapers want 800. But I, I was discovering that mine were 777. So if I go over that, that means I have to cut it somewhere. And if I don't have 777, I have to add something. And that it just makes it shapes it perfectly for me. I don't know why it works, but it works for me. <laughs> so I, I, I usually just get an idea, something hits me. And I think, well, that would make a good essay. But now I'm trying more. To do opinion pieces, because that's what you can get published is opinion mm-hmm. pieces. i mostly I've been doing um, or how to pieces work. But
1: the, the opinion pieces are, are those like op-eds. Op-eds,
2: right? Op-eds. Those are easier to get, you know, mm-hmm. to get published.
1: And what what topics are you have you written about or? Well, the, the
2: one in the Washington Post was on ageism. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to write something on housing. I'm trying to write something on they, them, on, on the gender. Mm-hmm. I'm writing things I've written about my dog. I wrote one that was very popular. That was titled, Why Get a Dog If You Don't Allow It to Sleep in Your Bed. That was extremely popular. <laughs> Every dog owner on Facebook had showed a picture. That was very popular. It's still growing. So it, it's something that, you know, I have an opinion about that. And, uh, and how one, do you go
0: about getting them uh, published?
2: I have a blog. The ones that don't get published, I have a blog. Okay. So if you go to elainesoloway.com, there's I, hundreds of I've been there. Yeah, there's hundreds <laughs> of them. Yes. So that's, that's what's good, though, because if nobody wants it, I can put it myself, put it on Facebook, and it's really good. I can get 300 people to read it there. Mm-hmm. And then they share it. the one the one I just wrote about um, God nudging me to start a Jewish women's writers group. Not, not only got it just got shared 13 times and I was getting. So having my own uh, newspaper in a way, is, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't have to worry like if no one will take something, I'll just put it up myself.
1: Uh-huh. I like that notion. My own newspaper,
0: right? <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. But when you when you uh, try to get it published, mm-hmm. I assume that if it's published, well, maybe not. If it's published,
2: is it a paid piece? Some are paid, and some are not. Some mm-hmm. are not. It mm-hmm. just depends the you know um, how prestigious the the paper is. And I'm willing not to take money, but but many do get paid. I have you know gotten paid.
1: Mm-hmm. And are you primarily um, focusing on essays and 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 not books? Is that- well, you know,
2: I've done I've done four books. Right. I wrote my memoir, *The Digital Street Princess*. Then I wrote two books of essays, and then the third one was called *She's Not the Type*, which is a fiction, but a really a romantic left because it's. it's Much of it is my life with all the names changed. And they were all self-published and they're Mm -hmm. still doing fine. But it's a lot of work to do a book, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I could, and then it's very hard now to get book readings with COVID. And I just, I was thinking about writing a book, but then I thought it would take so much time. I could write a hundred essays before I do that. Mm -hmm. So I gave up the idea. Uh
1: Okay. okay. Lane, is there anything else you would like to share with our our listeners, viewers,
2: viewers? Well, uh, just one last thing. Yeah, uh, is that I think one of the problems that people have in trying something new is the fear of embarrassment, the fear Mm -hmm. that people will say, "What do you really? You call that swimming?" (laughs) You know, (laughs) or or something that I've tried and something that I do, I, I have a philosophy, I had a philosophy because I don't do it as much anymore, called leap before you look, which mm-hmm. is this try it out. And if it doesn't work out, you drop it or you move or you you know go on. Because people are so afraid to make a step and to make a mistake. And then people will say, well, you said you were going to take tennis for a whole semester. And I said, well, I didn't feel like it, you know. So I think if people could drop embarrassment, they could do so many more things that are fun for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well
1: said. Well, well said, said indeed.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Elaine, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been delightful. And I look forward to reading your, your, your op-eds and your blogs.
2: Thank you. And so, thank you will you. let me know. If this, if this will be available for viewers. Yes. Okay. Yes, that you can promote widely. I will, because <laughs> I'm such a show off, right? Well, thank yes. you so much for inviting all me. Right. I'm really grateful for it. You're thank very you. welcome. Thank
0: and, you. and listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review wherever you listen. Also visit our website, womenover70.com and easily access all of our episodes. Become a member in the Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined Circle and enjoy programming beyond the podcast. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined.